This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. It's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 76 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a concept that I call assets and leverage. So obviously, this is something that is not typically discussed in the therapy and education world, but I think it can be really helpful in that obviously, therapists, teachers are limited on time and resources and often feel like they aren't able to do what they want to do because of the situation that they're in, at their facility, because of constraints put on them. So this is a solution to help work through some of those things. I also talk about this in my clinical leadership program. It's one of the cornerstone pillars of that program that I will be teaching to clinicians to help them be better leaders in their facilities so that they can make a bigger impact with their services. So that program is launching in September. I am opening up the waiting list now though, so that if you're interested in the program, if you are a therapist or an educator of kids and you are in a position where you're designing specialized services for kids kindergarten all the way through adolescence, then definitely get on the waiting list so that you won't miss any of the information about that program. All you need to do to get on the waiting list is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. So now let's get into the episode. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen. And today I'm going to talk about assets and leverage, specifically as it relates to making a bigger difference and having a bigger impact on the students and clients you serve. Now, typically when you hear terms like assets and leverage, it's it's really more in reference to things like personal finance or business. But there's actually a way that we can apply it to what we do as therapists and teachers so that we can actually get more done and make a bigger impact on the clients that we serve. Now, a few episodes ago, I talked about the whole concept of shit sandwiches and just embracing that whatever situation that you're in, there always are going to be problems or shit sandwiches. And we can either choose to accept the ones that we currently have or try to change our situation, maybe make a career transition, start something new and get out of the current situation that we're in. But it's not super helpful to delude ourselves into thinking that whatever the new situation we create is going to be problem or shit sandwich free. So with that in mind, I think we always have to understand that whatever we're doing, what we really want to ask is not how do I eliminate the problems, but 
how do I create a situation where I have problems that I am okay with dealing with because what I'm doing means a lot to me? Do I care enough about what I'm doing that I am willing to deal with the shit sandwiches that come with it? And part of the way that we do this is by figuring out a way to manage our time better because a lot of times when burnout happens, yes, self-care is important, but if we start with the self-care, a lot of times we don't have enough time to actually plan it because we don't have control of our schedule and our time and our priorities. So that's why I shifted to talking about self-care and then also started talking about leadership and how when we are thinking about our role as a therapist, it's not just about what do I do when I'm sitting here with a student or client in front of me. We want to think bigger and think about service delivery and all the things that we need to coordinate and all the things that the other people are doing in order to serve that child. We think about that first before we're thinking about the minutia and the very specific tactical things that we're actually doing with students because all of that context is going to help us make decisions that are individualized, but also more efficient in our therapy sessions and in our time with our students. And then also they're going to inform what we do with other people, all the other types of services that we provide. As therapists, we aren't just focused on what we're doing when we have a client or group of clients in front of us. We can also make an impact by thinking about the other types of service and the other service delivery models that we can offer, because that's what's going to amplify the impact of what happens in our sessions, whether it be training parents or collaborating with, with other people that we work with or providing educational materials and training someone to do something else that we do so that they can reinforce what's going on in our therapy sessions. Or maybe we're working as a team with somebody and they're working on things that maybe fall within our scope, but fall within their scope as well. And that can help us prioritize the things that we need to focus on when we have access to students. All of these things are going to be really important. And the way that we can make this shift and make those other things happen is by thinking more like a leader instead of just thinking of yourself as the therapist who pulls kids out and works with them on whatever skill you're working with. And again, as I've said before, depending on what role you have, you might already be in somewhat of a coordinator role, um, especially if you are a psychologist and you're responsible for running IEP meetings, for example. That is one example that I've given because when I was in the school systems, when I was a, a speech pathologist and I worked with a social worker and a psychologist and an occupational therapist and a special education teacher and you know, obviously there are other people, but those are just some things that come to mind. Obviously, there were some of us. So for example, the um, as the SLP, I did a lot of the direct therapy. The psychologist would sometimes meet with students, but was doing a lot of evaluation and more coordinating of services. And then the social worker was kind of in the middle where they were meeting with students and, and running groups, but also doing some coordinating activities. So I think it's really important that no matter what role you're in, it's it's very important to understand that you, that there are hybrid roles and that 
as therapists, we can all act as leaders because our role for for what happens is going to be very dependent on that individual student. And I think it's it's also important for us to support each other in our unique leadership roles. So with that in mind, I wanted to talk about the concept of assets and leverage because when when I first start to share some of these things with people, I know that a lot of the questions that I get from people who are in a therapy role where they're primarily focused on direct therapy with students, they are asking a lot of questions about what do I do when I have students in front of me? What goals do I write? What are my activities and my strategies? Which are all very important things to be thinking about. But what the reason why it's hard to make that leadership shift and start to think about those other things is because often they're thought of as extra, like like sitting down and having a consultation with the teacher may seem on the surface like something that's that's not that's not part of the uh, urgent things that you have to do, partially because of the way that the the laws and the mandates work. That's something that typically might not be directly, in the paperwork, for example, if you have an IEP, but is something that I think should start to be in the paperwork or should be something that is on your on your radar or that is on your list of things that are considered the important things to do because they are necessary in order for you to make an impact with your services. Because if you're just focused on what you're doing in therapy and nobody else knows what's going on and you're functioning in a silo, then you're not going to be as effective. And I think that that's ultimately when people say, what should I do in therapy with my students? What they really want to know is how do I make an impact on my students? I just want my, I just want to feel like my therapy is working and I'm doing the right thing for students. So I'm here to tell you that those other things are essential pieces to to that puzzle. And when I share that, a lot of times really what's what's challenging and why those things get put on the back burner is partially because of um partially because of of just how people have been trained in their pre-service training, but also because of time and because it seems like these things are unattainable because we have limited limited resources. So that's why the the concept of asset allocation and leverage time are so important because this is how you're going to be able to make that shift to thinking more like a leader because people who are successful in leadership roles and positions whether it be because they are in a an official designated leadership position or because they've just decided that wherever they are, whatever their job is and what they're doing right now, they're just going to designate themselves as a leader. Those people are able to leverage their time so that they can get everything in and that's how they're able to make a bigger impact. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Now, when people talk about assets for finance, it's usually some kind of an investment. If it's business, it could be some kind of a product or uh, something that's generating income. So if we apply this concept to the therapy world, essentially what we want to do is 
create things that are going to be things that we invest in that give us some returns, meaning better results for our clients, more impact, more time to ourselves, more career satisfaction. And what's interesting is that often assets can create more assets. So we do one thing and it creates more time for us so that we can develop other things. This is ultimately what we want to do. And using this this thought process can help us get more out of the time we have. Because as I said before, there are real problems that you have to deal with as a therapist. Things that while we would hope that legal mandates would take care of, and lobbying efforts and things like that, obviously those are things that we can do and should be done, but those things are going to take time. There's a lot of uncertainty as to how long and if changes are going to happen. And we have clients now who need us. We need to find a way to make things work in the current system. And I believe that we can when we think about our roles differently. So in the business and finance world, Examples of assets that you might hear, you know, people will talk about real estate or index funds or or stocks or crypto or, you know, whatever they have in their portfolio. Well, as a therapist, you have things in your portfolio as well. You have assets like people that you work with. There might be resources that you have, whether it be actual materials that you have for training or therapy or whether it be other resources within your your school or your facility or your or your clinic wherever you work there might be physical things that you have that help you do your job you might also have time i know that that's a resource that is scarce so that's part of the reason why we're thinking about this whole concept of leverage and asset allocation because time is probably one of the things that i hear that is a limited resource and asset for a lot of therapists. So that's that's why this conversation is so important. But but time in itself is an asset. If you have a block of time in your schedule where you can do something and create something, then that is something that is going to be valuable for you. You can choose how you invest that time and get a return out of it. Then we also have knowledge and skills. So your therapy skills that you invest in, when you take time to build a skill, that is something that as you develop it, you're going to get a return on having that skill. Yes, there's typically a learning curve when you're building knowledge and skills, but when you apply those skills over time, they get stronger, then you are going to see an impact. And with therapy, specifically where I see this happening and and why you do get a return is that oftentimes there is that learning curve at the beginning where you're you're learning a new skill, you're you're building knowledge. And I, I differentiate knowledge and skills because I think it's it's one thing to know something, it's another thing to be able to apply that knowledge. So they go together. They're not the same thing. But one example where I see this happening and where people can get a return is that when you learn how to do something, so for example, uh, planning for sessions, and I know that we're talking more, we're talking about more than just your therapy sessions, but 
Um, when you're when you're thinking about what you actually do with your students, when you're learning a new protocol, it does take a lot of time for you to plan and prep it first. But over time, you've invested that time, you have the knowledge and skills, and you can plan it really quickly. And, and no, it's not winging it if you plan a session in less than five minutes if you've done it a million times. You've already invested the time to be able to plan that session in just a couple minutes. So that is where you can invest in those knowledge and skills skills that are going to help you be more efficient and that time that you have created by not spending a ton of time planning, that is time that you can invest elsewhere. So that's why knowledge and skills are are assets that you can use to, to get a return, which is better results for your clients, more time for yourself, and also just career satisfaction. It, it feels good to have skills and knowledge. It's, it's a great feeling to walk into a situation knowing that you are well-equipped to be flexible and be able to handle what's being thrown at you. Another thing that is really important is, is people and relationships. So those relationships that you build are assets as well. Because when you need to get something done and you need to work as a team, any type of relationship that you have or any other person is going to help you get things done. When we think about service delivery instead of just therapy, when we start with the big picture and think, what are all of the things that this child needs and how do I deliver that to them? So that way we're zooming out. We're not just saying, what do I do in my session? We're thinking, what does this child need? And then we're thinking about, all of our assets that we have, including the people that are working with that child, then that's where we can start to divide and conquer and be more efficient because there is a chance that you might be working on something that someone else could work on. And of course, it might be in your scope, but it also might be in your scope to train that other person to work on those skills with that student because it can do a number of things. Number one, it can free up more time in your direct therapy time to work on something else, or it can take what you're working on in therapy and help that that client apply it elsewhere. So many times the things that we are addressing with our clients, if we don't have good follow through and we don't have other people on board with what needs to happen to support them outside of the time that we are with them, then we're not going to necessarily see that transfer. And I am going to talk about one specific area where I think that we really need to apply this concept of service delivery and asset allocation and just leverage time because I think that is the glue that needs to hold together everything that people need to do for kids in the school age years. Now, if we think about people as assets and those relationships as assets, and we think about who is interacting with the school age child, we can, there's there's a number of different ways that we can go with this. So obviously, if there is a child who has an IEP, there is going to be an IEP team. There could be a number of people on that team. There could be a special education teacher. The general education teacher is also going to be a part of that team, even though their, their role is going to be different than the special ed teacher's. 
And then we might have other people, school service personnel, like social workers, occupational therapists, music therapists, speech pathologists, um, maybe a reading specialist is involved as well. And, and typically that might be more involved in the general education instruction. Often that's not something that is put on an IEP, but many times students who do end up with IEPs might be getting some support from reading specialists. Um, we also have... Um, ESL teachers, there's there's a number of different things. And again, some of these things that I'm listing might not necessarily be part of special education, but they could be part of the team. And then also, we we have the people who are in the school, but then we also have other people who are interacting with that child outside of the school. So those are, those are, people can be assets if you're a person who's trying to figure out service delivery for for a child. So maybe they are getting some kind of support outside of school that the parents are choosing to invest in. Maybe they have a private therapist that they're seeing, whether it be in the mental health realm, whether it be an academic tutor, which is not the same thing as therapy, but is an ad- another service that parents could be investing in. Maybe they're seeing a speech pathologist or an occupational therapist or some other kind of therapist who's building a specific skill or offering a specific service, those people are also assets. So if you have a child who's getting those things, we want to think about all of these things because those people are are going to be resources for you that you can use to help support this child and create this seamless plan. And then of course, Last but not least, the parents or caregivers or whoever the guardians are of that child. The reason that I bring this up is because there are so many things that school personnel can teach kids in an academic environment, but in order for those things to be reinforced and actually transferred over to the real world, it's really important for parents to be doing the things that um, that will support those those academic skills and will allow kids to get a variety of experiences outside school that are going to support the academic growth and just just growth in general. So that is really important as well. And a lot of the skills that we would be addressing in therapy, I know you know myself uh, as a speech pathologist, I there's a lot of things that I would like to be able to do in therapy but because the language needs to apply be applied to a very functional context I I can't follow that child around all day so I need to think of a way that I can take what I'm doing when I have that child with me and transfer it over and so a huge part of that is going to be seeing the parents as an asset to building those skills, training them to do those things. And I know that if you are in a school setting, this does get harder because you might not have access to parents, but that's why we have to have this conversation about different assets and resources that you can create, especially if it is hard to communicate with parents, because sometimes you can create trainings or different materials and 
and or create more time in your schedule to be able to do to do outreach. But it's it is very important to to think about these things because if you don't have this seamless flow of everybody doing their unique part, then it does make it harder. And I think that one of the biggest questions that I get from therapists is how do I get it all in? Well, you you don't. You you don't get it all in, but that might be okay because you might not have to because you can use these other people and be flexible with the way that you provide your services and take what you're doing and and delegate and have other people work on something that you would like to work on directly, that you're qualified to work on directly, but maybe you're not the only person who's qualified to do it. You might be the leader in the situation where you are guiding and coordinating what other people are doing, but you might not have to be the one to directly deliver all of those services because you can get the parents involved, you can get the other people who are working with the child involved, and especially if you do have other therapists who are, are skilled therapists. They have great skills as well that you can leverage and, and you can talk with them and and do the same thing for them. You know, pull what they're doing in their sessions into your sessions and, and kind of have some overlap there and support each other. Now, obviously, when we are thinking about the the big picture and we're thinking, what does this child need? What are the services that this child needs to be able to be successful, everybody has their own individual area of expertise where they're going to really zoom in and focus. Everybody has something that they're working on that they're more qualified to do than other people and that other people aren't working on. That's how it works, even though there is this, this overlap and for a lot of things. So for example, you may have a reading specialist who is focused on those reading skills, or sometimes that's a special ed teacher. Um, and then the speech pathologist can also do things to support literacy, but they might be doing it in a different way. Uh, they might be working on some things that the reading specialist isn't able to work on. And as a result, the, the reading specialist is also diving into certain things that the speech pathologist isn't working on. So one example of how that used to look when I was working in the schools is that I would really focus a lot of time on morphology and syntax and the, the overall sentence structure, because those things were often holding kids back with their ability to comprehend. And then there might be a reading specialist who was really diving into the phonics and phonological awareness. And yes, they were covering some of the things that I was doing, but they weren't touching on them as deeply as I was because I was, and we sort of flowed together there. But then the special ed teacher maybe had more time to work on the overall cohesion of writing, but the special ed teacher may have been aware of what I was doing. So they could pull in some of this work on syntax. They could also pull in some of the work that the reading teacher was doing. And so everybody was hitting it from a different angle and we were covering our bases that way. Now, was I qualified to do all those things as a speech pathologist? Yes. But did I have time to do all of those things? No. So I leveraged my assets thinking about what the other people were doing, knowing that these other people are also supporting what I'm doing. And so I didn't feel like I needed to get to all of those things because I I knew that somebody was covering them. I didn't I didn't care if I was the one doing it. I just wanted someone to do it. And this is how I encourage therapists to think about their role as well. And and again, that's just one example of how this could look. Now, 
Um, there obviously are other things. There's, you know, OT. So if we have sensory and motor, um, PT, um, then mental health. So we bring in things like counselors, psychologists, social workers. So obviously they're going to be working on things that I wouldn't have been working on as an SLP. They're going to be tying in the mental health and behavioral piece in a different way. But again, those things are also going to overlap with some of the things that the academic uh, the academic practitioners are doing and vice versa. So we all have our unique thing that we're doing and our, our thing that we really put our stamp on within our scope. But there needs to be something when we're thinking about coordinating services across the board, something that is the glue that holds all of this together. There, There is a big, broad area that is something that needs to be applied to everything that everybody is doing that really holds it all together. So far, I've mentioned some very specific tactical overlaps in scope. You know, the the example of, of the SLP and the reading teacher or the special ed teacher and the reading teacher, or, you know, even there, there are going to be some overlaps with um, let me let me throw another one out there. Occupational therapy and special ed because of, of sensory and fine motor, there's going to be overlaps there. So there are there is going to be what I like to refer to as sort of this this glue and this overlap in scope when you compare when you when you zoom in and look at the relationship between you know two different practitioners, for example. So I'm I'm showing you these adjacent relationships here, but there is one area that's going to be an umbrella for everybody, and that area is executive functioning. Now, because I'm an SLP, this is something that SLPs talk about directly and address in therapy. But in my experience, a lot of school SLPs have a hard time getting to this directly because. Typically, there are lots of other language-based things. There's there's literacy. There's there's all sorts of other things that they have to work on that are, as I've said before, a little bit more zoomed in and specific to speech and language. And while executive functioning may be embedded into the things that they're working on, it seems like this thing where it's like, I've got so much on my plate to deal with. I can't think about this other thing. So it often gets put on the back burner and not addressed as directly as it should be. Where I see a lot of people working on this directly would be people who are in private practice who make this their area of specialization. And the reason that they're often able to do that is because they are, they're private and they're not bound by the, the specific school guidelines. And so that's why they are able to make that their area of focus. But having said that, when I was in the schools, the way that it often worked was that I, as the speech pathologist, would work on my language type things. And then often the executive functioning would, would get delegated or outsourced. And, and ultimately, a lot of times who ended up working on it would be the special ed teacher. But really what was going on was that... Everybody who had contact with that child really was working on executive functioning without realizing it. 
And while I do think that there were many cases that it was done pretty well because it wasn't something that was explicitly talked about and addressed strategically, I think that the the service provision wasn't as seamless and as effective as it could have been. So really how I see this whole idea of leveraging assets and and designing service delivery versus designing therapy is that executive functioning is sort of this umbrella that hangs over everything that everybody needs to know about. And everybody has some role in making sure that it is addressed. Now, everyone's role, depending on where they are, can look different. Sometimes it might be a role of directly working with the child. Sometimes it might be training other people to directly work with the child. Sometimes it might be coordinating people to make sure that the training and the services are happening. So there's a lot of ways that it can look, but ultimately there are all of these people who need to be working on this in different ways across the child's entire day. And they all have this really important role and while there are some adjacent relationships and different overlaps from one service personnel, um, from one service provider to another, or just from one person in that child's life to another, executive functioning is really this thing that kind of hangs over all of them that everybody's going to be integrating in some way. And again, Obviously, their role, whether they're training or coordinating or consulting or directly working on it, is going to depend on who they are and what their relationship is to that child. But really, this is something that is the glue that holds all those services together. So when we think about assets and what assets we want to leverage, we we start with the executive functioning piece, and then everybody kind of has their own little area that is going to fit under that, that is going to be something that we we're need we're going to need to consider when we when we figure out what that child has and what assets we want to build. So I can give some specific contextual examples from myself as a speech pathologist. So obviously, if I'm focusing on the language and literacy element, all of those types of things are going to have executive functioning built into it. So the questions that I would be asking are what specific skills does this child need to work on from a language perspective? And then I would be working on them with that child directly. And I would be working on them in a way that that builds executive functioning skills. And then I would be thinking of ways that I could get access to other people in that child's environment to make sure that I am training other people to work on other executive functioning skills across the board. So in the example of working with the special ed teacher who might be working on writing, we would want to be talking about how they're going to take the the things that I'm doing and apply them to what they're doing in writing, but also that they're teaching kids other executive functioning strategies for writing, kind of big picture writing organization and things like that. Again, I I am qualified as a speech pathologist to do that, but I don't only have to be the, but I'm not the only one who's qualified. I can talk with the special ed teacher and show them some things about, you know, how to, how to work on that. And, and the special ed teacher can also be learning about what they can do for executive functioning as well. Then we can be sharing that with the general education teacher. So the way that we would be leveraging our assets is that we might be thinking, okay, we don't have enough time to get to all of these skills that this child needs. And also, 
this child needs to work on these skills outside of the time that they're with us. So the assets that we would leverage is that we want to block out time. We want to try to figure out, do we have blocks of time where we can go into the classrooms, where we can talk with the teachers and put some supports in place so it's easy for them to support students in the classroom. We can create training resources for the parents so that they know what to do at home. If we have a child who is having a hard time sitting down and doing homework, for example, so we can we can create some tools and resources for parents to be able to work on that at home. And we can also give them some tips for working on executive functioning during other functional tasks, because we as the the educational people aren't able to follow that child around all day. So we want to help parents to figure out during those those day-to-day things like getting dressed, getting ready for school, we want to help them to help their child to put those skills in place as well because that's going to have an impact on everything. That can have an impact on how they do academically, socially, and all of those things. And there are a ton of other examples I can give for where the psychologist, the social worker might fit in with the behavioral aspect of all of these things. But really executive functioning is like this thing that, that hangs over everything because almost every single task that requires multiple steps and integration of skills is going to require executive functioning skills and self-regulation, which is part of executive functioning. So that's why everybody needs to know what it is and how to apply it to their specific area of focus. And yes, you know, as a depending on who's on that IEP team or who's on that therapy team, there are potentially a number of people who could be qualified to provide support with executive functioning. Now, obviously, as a speech pathologist, I'm biased. I think that we are qualified to work on executive functioning because of the relationship with language. But I also think that this is so important that other people can step up and have a leadership role as well. Um, I think that really anybody on that team who understands child development and neurological development can can learn about these skills and apply them to whatever situation they're working on. And so definitely if you are in a role where you're working with a child, you can you can designate yourself as a leader and start to put some of these things into place. So as we're thinking about assets and resources, we want to think about how can I create more time in my schedule so that I can do these types of things. That's why we we talked about mastering productivity and and prioritizing our time so that we can create time. But then we also want to think about how we can create assets that create more time for us, such as showing other people how to do things so that we can free up time for something else or building skills that allow us to be more efficient so it doesn't take us as much time to plan, building knowledge that helps us to create other other things that are going to, to help support that child. If we have more knowledge, we're going to be able to better train others and also creating the time so that we can create those relationships that are going to enable us to do all of these things. So we can see this this concept of leverage and assets, all of these things impact each other, and they're going to make a bigger impact on our, our clients' performance and their level of functioning.
wrap up here, but if you are interested in learning more about the clinical leadership program where you'll learn about things like creating assets and leverage and building systems that will help you to be more productive so that you can take on meaningful projects that help you to make a bigger impact on your caseload that also help you to create more influence and more impact with your services, then check out our waiting list page. The program is launching in September, but you can get on the waiting list now so you don't miss any updates about when the program is open. So to get on the waiting list, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.